Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. We concluded our study in the Gospel of Mark last week. And uh, we're going to take this week and the next two weeks here in April um, to look at uh, three specific psalms that really aren't the happiest psalms. They're psalms of despair and darkness, of difficult times. But that's one of the reasons why I love the book of Psalms is because it speaks to the reality of life. Life is not always, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Uh, It's far from it. It is full of suffering and difficult times and ups and downs of, of hard things. And I'm so thankful for the Psalms that give us language in how to think through those difficult times, to cry out to God and give us a pattern uh, for those hard things that we endure. And so we're going to be looking this week and the next few weeks uh, at a few psalms that set a pattern for us and that are helpful for us during the difficult things of life. And so if you've found your way to Psalm 13, uh, it's on page 453 in the Pew Bible. Let's pray and then I'll read our passage this morning. Father, thank you for the fact that you will hold us fast, that you are faithful, that those who are placed in the hand of Christ cannot be taken out, and those who are in Christ's hands are also placed in your hands. Lord, just the, the absolute protection we have in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are sealed with the Spirit. He is a down payment. He is a, a promise. Lord, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because of your sovereign hand, Lord, we thank you for how you keep us, you hold us. Lord, even when we feel that we are slipping away or the difficulties of life overwhelm us, Lord, as David says, lead us to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, help us this morning as we look at a passage full of suffering and question and complaint. As we see that mirrored in our own lives, Lord, that we'd be encouraged and challenged to follow the pattern here of David trust in you. We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As I've already mentioned, in introducing our mini-series here in the book of Psalms, that suffering happens to us. Now, you might think, well, I may not have suffered, as we use that term, in a great, huge way, some massive trial. Some of you have. A loss of a loved one, a spouse, a son or daughter, or a parent. Some of you have lived through Diseases and cancer and sickness that have taken a great toll that you didn't think you'd be able to endure. 
Some of you have gone through hardship with difficulties with your job of losing it, of, of being laid off, of financial hardship. Maybe a difficult, broken relationship with a very close loved one or a friend or somebody you've known for so long. There are large ways we suffer, but then there are small ways we suffer. Each one of us, through the ups and downs of life. Maybe you suffer with a, 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 a difficulty that nobody else knows, except for God. The fact is, we all endure some form of suffering, some form of brokenness. Now, some might be larger or more apparent than others, but we all are going through something. And I think that should humble us, and that should cause us to give grace to one another. We never fully know what someone else is going through. We might have an idea, but to fully know the weight of what they are bearing, we don't know. And as we come to Psalm 13, and as we think of this idea of suffering and how it happens to us all in different ways, shapes, and form, David here is overwhelmed. And he cries out to God in the midst of his suffering. In the midst of his darkness and his despair, when it feels like you can't keep your head above water. Have you ever had that feeling? You're swimming and you just can't reach the edge of the pool or get to shallow water where you can stand up. You're just doing with all your strength and all your might just to, to stay afloat. I have a reoccurring dream sometimes, and maybe you have something like this where you're running away from something and you can feel like your, your feet is in like concrete and you can't get away, right? As a kid, I had this dream also where it was dark and I, every light switch I flipped on, none of them worked, right? And it was just a passing thing. And, and, but we have that feeling sometimes. We want light, but every light switch is broken. We want to run faster, but our feet are stuck in the mud, we're overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. And we feel like nobody can help us or nobody's listening. Nobody knows. Even God himself seems far away. David here is in one of those situations. We don't know the exact circumstances of David's suffering. Obviously, David had a lot of enemies. David had a lot of ups and downs. We read in First and Second Samuel. Saul... King Saul was seeking to kill David. There were the, the Philistines who were seeking his life. There was his own children who were set against him. There was his own sin that he was beset with. So whether it was a, one of these things or a myriad of them put together, David here is in the midst of suffering. And he cries out and he says, How long, O Lord, how long? So we come to Psalm 13 and we think of this idea of suffering. The truth here for us is this. Is that the suffering of life refines our trust in God. The suffering of life refines our trust in God. I think this should be encouraging to us. Even though we know it in our heads. But to have that transition into belief in our very souls is that God uses suffering in our lives. He uses the ups and downs, the despair, the darkness 
Not that he is some sadistic uh, puppeteer saying, I'm going to make you suffer so you'll be exactly like me, but rather because of the effects of sin in our world and the effects of sin in creation and on our own bodies and our own minds, God redeems even that, the suffering of our life, to grow our trust in him, refine. We know that idea of of metalwork, right? That a fire would be heated so hot that as metal was melted, the impurities would rise to the top and they would be, they'd be wiped off. It's often spoken of, of gold in Scripture, right? Refined as gold. The impurities, when the gold is melted down and the, the other elements and the other dross, the other elements in the gold would come to the top and they'd be wiped away and so it'd be pure gold. It'd be strengthened. God does the same things in our life. Through the crucible, the the heat of suffering in our life, he refines us and he refines specifically our trust in God. Suffering is used by God in many ways. The Psalms here give words to our suffering hearts. They can speak when we are speechless. Have you ever had somebody ask you the question, how are things going? And things are just, you know, the wheels are flying off. (laughs) But how do you describe that? You can almost not give words to it. But the suffering in the Psalms gives us words. It gives us a, a pattern for us to think through. So let's look here at Psalm 13 and how the suffering of life refines our trust in God. It's a Psalm of David. The, uh, the superscript uh, says that there. Uh, to the choir master, Psalm of David. And we aren't sure the circumstances. Some of the circumstances of the Psalms are known to us. This one we can only surmise. Obviously, there's some form of suffering or enemy that David is enduring. Uh, Looking at verse 4, talking about the enemy and his foes. Um, But we aren't sure. And so this is a a suffering of David. Uh, That is, I would say, a, a pattern for us. David cries out here, and the first thing we see how the suffering of life refines our trust in God, suffering brings our complaints to God. As we think of how suffering and the difficulties of life works in our life, the first thing is that it brings our complaints to God. It brings our complaints to God, verses 1 and 2. The phrase, how long, is used four times. That's actually the title of the psalm given by the editor's Uh, of the ESV. How long, O Lord? How long? Four times. How long, O Lord? How long will you hide your face? How long must I take counsel? How long? David sounds like a seven-year-old in the back of a minivan. (laughs) Are we there yet? How long? You know what's sad is sometimes that's happening now as we make a trip into Waverly with our kids. It's like, oh, come on. (laughs) Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How long? It's like, wait till we take an actual trip. <laughs> I grew up and we didn't have tablets. We didn't have DVD players in the car. Back in my day, uh, slowly turning into my parents. <laughs> how long? David is enduring the suffering and he says, how long, O oh Lord? He addresses God specifically and he says, how long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? David is saying, Lord, I've been suffering and it's been going on for so long that 
It seems like you've forgotten me. You've abandoned me. Lord, how long? Maybe when a difficulty begins in your life and at the beginning it, it causes you to draw close to God and, and you can feel God's presence and his provision and his protection. But as that suffering endures, whether it's a chronic illness or a difficult relationship that continues on or a loss that is still there, over time you realize that this difficult circumstance isn't going away and all of a sudden you may feel like, God, are you there? How long, Lord, how long will you let this endure? Will you forget me? The second phrase is, how long will you hide your face from me? This idea of hiding your face from me is the idea of blessing. Because the opposite is the positive. Shine your face upon me. Look upon me. It's the idea that God is turning his gaze on you And in turning his gaze upon you, there is blessing, there is reward, there is his grace. Whereas he turns his face from you and there's an abandonment, a, a turning from. And so David is saying, are you ever going to look at me? Are you ever going to let your face shine on me again, Lord? He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? He's basically saying, I've been abandoned and I only have my own, my own thoughts, my own soul and I have sorrow in my heart all the day I only have myself and in that is just sorrow Lord there's there's no one else and and I don't have it within me Lord how long then he turns outward and he says shall my enemy be exalted over me whether this is a literal em- enemy probably it is we understand the application of the difficulty as the enemy in a sense that this is exalted over David. What David does here is important for us. David is complaining. Now, generally, when we hear the term complaining, it's something negative. How many of us as parents can go to Philippians chapter 2 and say, do, things, do all things without grumbling or complaining? Right? But David here is complaining. But kids, lest you say, well, David complained, I can complain, there's a difference. (laughs) When mom or dad tell you to take out the trash or clean up your room, oh, Lord, how long? (laughs) It's not quite the same. (laughs) David here isn't complaining about something that he just doesn't like, a preference. Something in his own sin that he is complaining that he knows he should do, but he doesn't want to. It's not a simple surface level complaining. This is a complaint of the soul. This is a, God, what are you doing? God, what you are doing, I don't like. If we can't be honest with God, who can we be honest with? And you might think, well, I don't know if I should complain to God. Whether you do it verbally or mentally, God knows what's in your heart anyways. (laughs) So it's not like you're going to say anything that God doesn't already know. But I think this is important because this helps us realize the difficulty that we are in. And God wants us, we know, to cast our cares upon Him. And so this complaint to God of how long, Lord, is this suffering 
going to happen is good for us. It's verbalizing, Lord, what I'm thinking, what I'm experiencing. And I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, how long? Lord, why? Why is this happening? That's a very appropriate question. Why? To cry out to God, to, to tell him what's on your heart, what's in your mind, what is weighing down on your soul. Lord, why? Why won't this cancer go away? Lord, why won't this loved one be reconciled to me? Why is there difficulty in this relationship? Lord, why did you take this loved one from me so soon? Lord, why has this child turned and walked away? Lord, why am I not satisfied with my life? We need to cry out to God in those moments. Say, Lord, what are you doing? How long to bring our complaints to God? There is no value in Christian stoicism. Stoicism is a, it's an ancient belief in thought. Being a stoic is the idea that you showed no emotion, that you were under control, that that you would, you know, the stiff upper lip, you just, you know, suck it up, buttercup, let's move on with life. Now, there's, there's a, a pattern of trust and reliance and in the face of difficulty soldiering on, but that's not the pattern in Scripture. You read the Psalms and there's a crying out, there's a longing, there's a Lord, what are you doing? There's an emotive aspect to our Christian lives where we can say, God, this is hard. Take it from me. What are you doing? Why? It is good and right for us to share with God what we are thinking, feeling, observing, and experiencing. God knows these things. And as any father wants to hear from his children, he wants to know. He wants to relate to us in that way. This complaining could also be called lamenting. I think that's a, a better Bible word than complaining. You're lamenting. You're crying out to God in the midst of a difficult circumstance. In a sense, complaining to God, but in a way in which you're looking for God to act. And there's a whole series of the Psalms that have this attitude of crying out to God of lament. There can be a tendency, as I already mentioned, in our Christian subculture to promote the idea that there's, there's no place. If you're a Christian, it's just joy and happiness and peace. No, there's hardship. There's difficulties in life. This complaining, as I mentioned, is not just complaining about the weather or taking out the trash or the consequences of our own dumb actions. <laughs> but this is the crying out to God of suffering, whether unjustly or indifferent suffering. That's the term that I use in my mind for the idea of sickness. It's not a direct cause of sin rather than the, the blatant fact that sin has affected our bodies, that death has entered into the world. But as we think through suffering, suffering should bring our complaints to God. Have you ever maybe been around somebody who's complaining about something at work? 
And you say, well, have you talked to so-and-so or gone through the proper channels or done this or this or this? No, I just like to complain, right? Then do something about it. If you can't do anything about it, you know, figure out how to, how to live with it in a sense. This complaining here brings it to God, to the one who can do something. Suffering brings our complaints to God, but it doesn't stop there. It's that, that's just, in a sense, the first step. And, and then it moves into verses 3 and 4, where then our suffering leads us to pray to God. We bring our complaints to God. We cry out, which is, in a sense, is a prayer. But then we ask God to act. Verses 3 and 4, David, <coughs> David prays for three things. He says, consider me, answer me, and light up my eyes. Suffering leads us to pray to God. Lord, consider me. This is the idea of, of turning your attention to me. Just as he was afraid that God turned his face from him and forgot him, he's now saying, Lord, over here, look at me. I've taken a number and, and you've called my number. Consider me. Look upon my circumstance, my situation. Lord, help me. And he says, answer me. Answer me, O Lord, my God, O Jehovah, my God. The one who has loved me, his, his covenant name, the one who is, he is Elohim, who is powerful. O Lord, my God, look at me, listen to me, and answer me. And this isn't a demanding, Lord, answer me right now, but a please answer me. It's a cry of humility. Lord, hear me. And he says, Light up my eyes. This idea of light is the idea of insight, of, of wisdom, of understanding. That idea of light in the eyes <clears throat> is often used as an image in, the pro, in Proverbs and in wisdom literature uh, of understanding. And he says, light up my eyes. Give me understanding. Give me life. Give me wisdom. And he says, do this. <clears throat> Because what is going to be the consequence if he, if he doesn't? He says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He says, lest I'm overwhelmed and I come to the point of death. And he says, lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. And now he's, he's concerned that David, who is his anointed, if he is overwhelmed by his enemies, then the enemies would mock God. He's saying, deliver me so I'm not overwhelmed to the point of death and and protect your own name. And he says, lest my foes rejoice that I am being shaken. The rejoicing of the enemy, of the difficulties. David says, consider me. Answer me. Light up my eyes. Lord, look at me. Answer me. Give me wisdom and insight. Give me direction. Give me understanding so I'm not overwhelmed by my circumstance. While your name is not thrown or drugged through the mud. And while... Your enemies will not say that they have power over you. David requests these things. And the pattern is so important for us. We cry out to God, and it's appropriate and right. You think of some circumstances on a, on a national level that have happened recently. The shooting at the school in Nashville. What do you say to that? How long, oh Lord? What are you doing? To cry out and say, 
this isn't as it's supposed to be. Maybe you have a circumstance in, in your own mind of a difficulty, suffering of something, as I mentioned, somebody else may know. You say, how long, O oh Lord? But that transitions us then to praying, say, Lord, answer me. Give me wisdom. Give me insight. Give me understanding. Help me to turn my focus from the difficulties to what you are doing. In the midst of his suffering and complaining, David turns to the Lord in prayer. Prayer is not, should not be an afterthought. Right? Something difficult happens. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. It can be easily tossed about and the right, wider culture can say, well, I don't want your thoughts and prayers. What are your thoughts and prayers doing? And and we can even slip into that mindset of, yeah, what really is our, our prayers doing? But yet, that is the pattern that God has set for us. To cry out to Him in prayer, to come before Him in humility and say, Lord, help us, help me. We can't fix the problem, but you can. When no one else knows or understands or can do anything about it, we cry out to the one who can do all those things. We complain to God, but our complaining should turn to prayer, saying, God, teach us, show us, help us. One author said this, to lament is Christian as we turn to God in prayer. We lay out our complaints. We ask boldly, and in the end, we choose to trust. Prayer is a readjustment for our mind's direction in the midst of suffering, and it is so necessary for us. Because we can ask the question of how long, O oh Lord, and we can be so focused on ourselves that our concern becomes so inward focused that we forget about what God is doing, about the circumstances around us. And so prayer reorients us to say, Lord, this is difficult and this is how it's affecting my life, but Lord, what are you doing in me? What are you going to do in me through this, Lord? Help me. It, it reminds us that we aren't alone. It's not just us but rather God is at work. Communing with God through prayer is resting in who He is, and this is so important. And this is, this is the, the, the fulcrum of how we handle our suffering. We can stay in the complaining side, but if we stay there, we shortchange, I believe, what God is doing. We start with the complaining, but that transitions then into crying out to God through prayer and we say, God, okay, what are you doing? And then that transitions then into our, our third point here in just a moment. But prayer is, is this reminder that God sovereignly is at work. And sometimes we don't know what to pray. Or you've prayed the same thing over and over again and you don't know what to keep praying. I love the reminder for us in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. It's this indistinguishable language. Have you ever come to the point where it's like, Lord, and it's just, it's, it's a blah prayer. Ah, blah. Lord, you know the anguish of my heart. Do something. I'm so thankful that the Spirit there is, is 
interceding and he's in a sense translating the desires of our heart before God. And we have the son we read from Hebrews 4 who's at the father's right hand interceding for us as well. The Lord knows what it's like to suffer. Suffering should lead to complaint, verbalizing, vocalizing to God the difficulties of our life. The suffering leads to pray, leads us to prayer before God. But then the end goal is this, is that suffering renews our trust in God. As we move from complaint to praying, we are brought full circle here to having a renewed trust in God. This is what David says in verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David reminds himself of God's steadfast love. That's God's, uh, say, hesed or chesed love. It's his covenant-keeping love. It's, the, it's his love that is contained in the promise, the fact that God has said, I am going to love you no matter what. And David says, I will trust in your steadfast love. We don't know here that David got an answer to his circumstance. If David's writing this as he's writing this song here. He, he he probably didn't see the result of his prayer this fast, but he reminds himself of God's steadfast love. I have trusted in your steadfast love. He's reminding himself of what he's done and what he's continuing to do. When David is lost in his suffering and doesn't know when it's going to end, he rejoices in how God has worked in the past. David could look and see how God has been faithful, how God hasn't abandoned him in the midst of difficulties and distress. He says, I'm trusting in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, in your deliverance. Remembering, bringing to mind the way that God has worked in our lives, in the lives of other believers, and in the Bible, we know he is faithful. Isn't it amazing how fast we can think that God's character changes in the midst of our suffering. When things are going well, God is good. God is faithful. God is just. God is a glorious God, and and we are worshiping him, and thank you, Lord, for, for Christ and for the salvation we have, and this is who you are. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something difficult happens, and we doubt what we just were proclaiming. <laughs> it's as if in our own finite minds, that God has been good for 2,000 years, but now, in this difficult circumstance, God isn't who he says he is. That's how fast our sinful flesh can begin to operate. (laughs) That we go from rejoicing in God's glorious character to questioning it when things get difficult. But David says, no, I choose to trust who you are and how you have worked in the past. And look at verse 6. He says, I will sing to the Lord. Usually when things are hard, we don't feel like singing. 
Singing is usually associated with joy and rejoicing and celebration. But there is something that connects to our hearts and our souls that in the midst of suffering as Christians, there's a song within us. Paul and Silas, they were in jail in Philippi. They were locked up unjustly. They were suffering. What did they do? They were singing. David here says, I will sing to the Lord. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, as they were in the upper room, they sang the songs of the Passover. Singing connects with us in such a way that almost nothing else can. How many times around a deathbed is somebody going to ask to hear a sermon played? Probably not very often. How many of you have sang a hymn or a song around the deathbed of a loved one? Someone whose mind is going due to the disease and the effects of a broken world. They can't remember their own name or your name, but you start singing a hymn and all of a sudden they know the words. In the midst of our suffering, we can still sing. Now, are we going to sing some happy Song? Probably not. We're going to sing a song of lament. But it's still a song. We're going to sing of God's faithfulness, of His goodness. And we will sing because He has dealt bountifully with us, David says. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. In the midst of our suffering, as we bring our complaint to God, as we cry out in prayer to Him, our trust is renewed. And as our trust is renewed, we reflect on what God has done and what God is doing, and we can rejoice. And we can sing. We can trust in God and His character and know that just as important is that God is at work in us. In fact, he is working out his plan for us of making us more like Jesus. One author says this, Trust looks like talking to God, sharing our complaints, seeking God's help, and then recommitting ourselves to believe in who God is and what he has done, even as the trial continues. We don't know that David was delivered from this trial. and There's no promise that as we cry out and we pray to God that he's going to make the trial go away. It might be lessened. It might change, but the loss is there. The difficulty is there. We don't downplay that. There are hard things that we're all enduring. We will endure until the day that Jesus comes back. But rather than being victimized by that, rather than have that being your identity of this is who I am because of what I've endured. We say, no, God brought that into my life for a reason, for a purpose. God allowed that to happen. He is using that to refine me, to make me more like Jesus, to grow my trust in Him, to know that He is a good, good,
gracious and kind and loving God. And though I may not know exactly why he allowed that to happen, I know that it's good for he is good. And that he is the one who's sovereignly in control. We complain, we pray, we trust. A couple closing thoughts here. As we think of how God uses suffering to renew us, refine us, refine our trust, this is a pattern for us to complain to God, to pray, and then to reflect and to, to continue to trust. A couple of things. First of all, suffering is normal in a broken world. Suffering is normal. It's the pattern. But it wasn't supposed to be this way. Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything and hold it, behold, it was good, right? But sin entered into the world and with sin came death and from then everything's been breaking down. And suffering occurs. Suffering is normal. Do not be uh, shocked when something difficult comes into your life. But understand it wasn't supposed to be this way. So it's okay to lament. To say, God, why is this happening? It's not supposed to be like this. And God would say, yes, you're right. It's not supposed to be this way. But understand one day, it's all going to be made new. It's all going to be fixed. All this suffering is going to be done away with. I'm going to wipe away every tear. No more night. So it's okay to lament. It's okay to cry out. Things are not as they should be. But one day, they will. So take heart. Secondly, God is at work even when we can't see it. God is at work in us even when we can't see it. There might be an ongoing difficulty. You say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Lord, how long? Why does this keep going? Lord, I'm trusting. We don't know what God ultimately is doing behind the scenes. We know he's using it to make us more like Jesus, to grow us, to, to refine us. And so we say, Lord, I'm waiting on you. But I think this is important. Waiting is not resignation or defeat. Waiting on God is not giving up. Waiting on God is not throwing in the towel. Waiting on God is doing what the Bible calls us to do, is to wait on the Lord. For Him to act. So we wait by actively trusting in God through prayer and obedience. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to wait for you. And as I wait, I'm going to trust. And trust leads to obedience. When we trust in God and his word, we will seek to obey. I love this quote from an author. Uh, the author's name is, is Mark Rogop. And he wrote this book entitled Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And it's, it's a book on lament. And I would highly recommend it. It's an easy read. It's a very encouraging read. A lot of these ideas have been distilled from uh, that book. But he says this, As we wait for future deliverance, our spiritual posture not be passive. We aren't cowering in the corner. We aren't, you know, just this fearful thing. But we wait. He says, while there may be painful circumstances beyond our control, our waiting can be spiritually productive as we intentionally follow the path, pathway to trust. This is why trust 
is active patience. We are waiting in God to work. And in our waiting, we obey and trust in him and his word. We are actively patient. We are waiting on God. God is at work. Suffering is normal in a broken world, but it's not supposed to be. We wait for the day when things are made right. God is at work even when we can't see it. So in the midst of our suffering and the difficulties of life, we complain to God. We turn that complaint to prayer to God. And even in the midst of unanswered prayer and difficulties, we trust, we renew our trust in God. God uses suffering in our life to refine our trust in Him. As God is faithful, He will continue to be faithful. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 5 as Paul writes about, yes, we have peace with God, but listen to what it does in the midst of our suffering. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have these great truths. We have been declared righteous. We have peace. We have a standing before God. Woohoo! Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul says, We've been justified by faith in Christ. We have peace with God. We have access to Him. We have salvation. And now life will not have any problems. No, he says, we have all these wonderful, amazing things. And now we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because God uses those sufferings to create endurance, which produces character, which leads to hope. And the hope that we have does not put us to shame. It's the idea that this hope is not a, oh, I hope this happens, but this hope is a settled trust and a fact that's already been decided that God is going to work. And we know that he is going to work through his love that's been poured into our hearts through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Suffering in life refines our trust in God. My prayer for us as a church is that as we endure suffering, great or small, that we can be people who complain to God, who turn to prayer, and continue to grow in our trust in Him. And that we would do that together as a church. Because there are some sufferings that are individual, but then there are some sufferings that are shared. And that we can encourage one another. How goes it with your soul today? Are you complaining? Are you praying? Are you trusting? And as we do that together, we see how God is glorified in the midst of a broken, dark world. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you how you are at work in us through Jesus. Lord, through the sufferings of our life, I pray that we could continue to put our trust in you and even through the ups and downs of life, Lord, that you would refine us. You would use the things in our lives to make us more like Jesus.
I pray for those here who have ongoing sufferings or maybe thoughts that came to their mind of difficulties in the past. Lord, that they not deny those things or ignore them, but view them in the proper place. That they would not identify, have their identity in them, but rather rejoice in what you've done through that difficult circumstance. Knowing that it's not as it should be, that you are at work. Lord, we pray for all these things in your son's name. Amen. As we think of suffering, the end of Jude, Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.